0: I want to welcome now to our special Bloomberg radio broadcast, our Bloomberg television audience. I'm live today at the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland with the Cleveland Fed Bank President Loretta Mester. Loretta, thank you for inviting us here. Oh, thanks for coming. It's exciting for us. Well, it's exciting to be here with you because you know what? You dissented a couple of weeks ago at a Federal Reserve meeting. First time you've done this since you joined the FOMC, Uh, you are looking at an economy that's performing well. And you say the outlook is that it will continue to perform well, but what's the urgency? Why dissent? Is the economy overheating? Well, it's not overheating,
1: and I don't think we're behind the curve yet, but I thought there was a very compelling case for taking another gradual step up on the path. As you know from the uh, summary of economic projections, the modal path and the or the median path across participants is a, is a gradual path up. We've made a lot of progress, I think, on both parts of our dual mandate goals in terms of labor markets. You know, we, we've seen 180,000 jobs added per month this year on average, um, which is a pretty good pace, especially after last year's pace and, and previous year. So we're doing well on the labor front. Inflation, still still below our 2% goal, but again, you know, it's moved up over the past year. and Monetary policy has to be forward looking. So, you know, my my view, there was a compelling case for moving the rate up gradually, um, and taking another step on that gradual path. And, you know, there's some, you know, people who think like, oh, you want to curtail the expansion. Not at all. Right? The reason I think it was appropriate to, to move the the rate up by twenty-five basis points is that we want we want the a sustainable expansion, and I think moving rates up is, is consistent with that.
0: Last week the numbers on consumer spending were weak enough that uh, the Atlanta Fed cut its GDP tracker down to 2.4%. It had been up as high as Mm 3.8%. You know, the the first half, the GDP barely grew over 1%. Does that make you, just think, it isn't maybe the, the the wait could be a little bit longer. There's a risk of hitting the economy with a rate hike when it's really not all that strong yet.
1: Well, you're right. The first half of the year growth was around 1%. Um, I still think we're going to see a rebound in the second half. Yeah, around two two to three percent in the second half gets you about two percent for the year. And my view is that we're going to be growing about two, a little bit over trend um, over the next two years. Um, that will be strong enough to put some downward pressure on the unemployment rate. I expect it to go down from where the current level. And I believe that you know, the, the, the day is in place for inflation to move gradually back to 2. Um, in my view, inflation expectations are reasonably you know, well anchored. We've seen inflation move up over the past year. And I think the economic conditions are such that we're going to be, you know, going gradually back to our 2% goal. So again, we have to be a little preemptive in sort of making sure that we're moving the, the interest rate up um, so that we can keep the, the expansion sustained.
0: So, uh, but still, when I think of the urgency to hike now, uh, many Fed officials, or, or some, I should try to think of how the FOMC would say it, a few, some, several, <laughs> uh, but a lot of economists and many people have raised the issue, but inflation has undershot for so long. Again, what's the yes. urgency? Is, would it not only be uh, okay, but would it be a good idea to let inflation get up to 2% and let it overshoot? The forecast, and you too, say not till 2018 are we gonna see a 2% inflation rate.
1: Look, I mean, I think we've learned over history that the Fed should be looking ahead and not just waiting. I want to be consistent with our communications and our stru- summary of economic projections that basically say a gradual path is appropriate. I think if we wait until, you know, some people say wait until you see the inflation get back to your goal, um, then there's a higher potential that we're going to have to raise interest rates on a steeper path. And in the past when people, have, when, the, when Fed and other policymakers have done that and other central banks, it really doesn't turn out to be a good outcome. So again, my preference would be move rates up gradually. You know, the gradual path, if you look at what's in the SEPs, and of course that's the assessment today about what, what we think is appropriate, it doesn't mean moving rates up every meeting, right? It's, it really is a gradual path. And a con- You know, policy will remain accommodative even if we take another step on the gradual path.
0: Okay, so the Fed has been telling us repeatedly that all meetings are live. There's potential for a poli- policy change. Um, you argued, for hiking rates in September. The Fed Chair said recently the case is strengthened for a rate hike. If the data stays strong, it seems like the economy's on even a better footing for a November rate hike. If the outlook doesn't change, if the reports come in strong, are you gonna argue for a rate hike in November?
1: So I think all meetings are live and I would include November in that all meetings are live. Um, as I said in September, I thought the case was compelling to take another, another step on the gradual path. If the data come in um, as we anticipate, you know, consistent with my forecast over the meeting run, then I would expect you know, to, that the case would remain compelling. But of course, we're going to look at all the data that comes in between now and November. Between November and December, as we do all the time, as we step through meetings, we like to look at all the incoming information. But you're right, if the data comes in as, consistent with what we've been seeing, then yes, I would think that it would still remain a compelling case. And you would
0: you would vote for a rate hike?
1: Well, I, we'll see when we get to the meeting, but again, the case would be compelling, I think.
0: Uh, it is a few days before an election, and the Fed says it's not political. I'm a longtime Fed watcher. I've seen moves right before elections. I believe it, but it would certainly raise a lot of attention. The markets would notice. Are the rules for a rate hike in November, especially this year, any different? Does the the hurdle for the rate hike get a little bit higher in November? Or the you next said
1: year? you said it yourself. We are an apolitical institution. We have been an apolitical institution all along. We're designed to be have an independent monetary policy. I can tell you, I've been going to FOMC meetings since I became research director at the Philly Fed. So over the past 16 years, I've been in the Fed 30 years. Yes, we are an apolitical institution. We don't politics do not come into our decisions. We look at the economy, we do our best to evaluate it relative to our dual mandate goals and we set policy based on the economic outlook.
0: So you'll push and you think other FOMC members will vote for a rate hike, if called for, even six days before an election?
1: I think we're apolitical, politics doesn't come into it.
0: Uh, President Bill Dudley said today, the Fed uh, should be cautious raising rates, especially at a time when the key rate is so low, so close to zero, if there's recession, the Fed doesn't have much room to fight it. And Bill Dudley's not the only person making that argument. How do you respond, Leverett? Because it's pretty clear you don't share that view.
1: Right, again, I'm basing it on, on monetary policy, well standardized you know, ways of doing policy. I view the economy and I look at our goals. We've made progress on both the employment part of our mandate and on the inflation part of our mandate. And to me, bringing the rate up a little bit is, is appropriate yes of course we always have to think about the risk um, going forward but again i think it's a compelling case of taking another little step on our gradual path which the participants of the, on the fmc continue to see as the appropriate path
0: uh, another person i want to cite is a fellow fed bank president and another uh, monetary theory expert uh, on the fed jim bullard of st louis because he said on friday that december is his base case for a rate hike this year because a lot of members want to raise uh, the key rate by the end of the year? Let's see doesn't happen in, in November. Should markets be all but convinced that it will happen in December, if it's even Jim Bullard's base case now?
1: Yeah, so I think, the, I don't like to look at it in terms of calendar year. I like to look at it in terms of, of sort of a, the appropriate path. So you're right, does it, does it happen in December, November? I mean, in that sense, sons, that's less important than is the economic outlook consistent with a gradual increase in the, in the Level of the interest rate, and each
0: meeting is live. You know, you mentioned the 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 SEPs, the Summary of Economic Prevention Projections. That includes the dot plots, of course. Each FOMC member gives their idea of, based on their view of the economy, where the interest rates are going. Two hikes in 2017, uh, two hikes in 2018. Is is that a realistic path, or? Does the FOMC risk under delivering again? I mean that's not quite the same as promising four rate hikes at the beginning of twenty sixteen and ending up maybe with one, but still.
1: Okay. So firstly it's not a promise. That's true.
0: I used the wrong word. I shouldn't have used that one. So basically
1: we get together, you know, we sit down and each participant decides what they think of the appropriate path of policy is given what they see in the economy happening and what their forecast is over the median run. Um, And you know, we're we're all committed to hitting our goals, right, and moving the economy in that direction. And then we write down what we think the appropriate policy path will be. If the economy evolves differently than we expect, then that path is going to be moving around. And so, and if different shocks at the economy, then you'd expect that path to to move around. So again, it's not a commitment to the path, but we want to be as transparent as we can with the public about where we are seeing the economy going. And what policy is associated with that?
0: Loretta Mester, we're just getting going, and I'm so glad you've given me an hour here on Bloomberg Radio to continue this conversation. I want to thank our Bloomberg television listeners for joining us. We'll be continuing this conversation with Loretta Mester, president of the Cleveland Fed. I'm Kathleen Hayes. This is Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. Very special show today. We're broadcasting live today from the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland. Loretta Mester, president of the Cleveland Fed, is my very special guest. I want to thank you again, Loretta. It's so great to be here in, in Cleveland and at the bank.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that you were able to come to a regional reserve bank to sort of see how we work in the regional bank. Everyone focuses on the Board of Governors, but this regional structure of the Fed, I think, is very important since for the country.
0: Since you brought that up, explain that, because from time to time, in a political year, even not in a political year, it comes up, let's change the Fed. And somebody wants fewer regional banks, or someone wants this. Explain to our listeners and your constituents, right, why regional banks play an important role and keep the Federal Reserve doing a good job.
1: Right. So the Federal Reserve was designed as an institution that sort of balances private sector and public sector, right? It has, you know, there was concern about it being too concentrated on Wall Street concerns. The Fed, by the regional structure, really brings Main Street concerns and views to the FOMC meeting. So each of the Reserve Bank presidents, you know, monitor their district. You had both Todd and, and uh, David on before um, I a got A member on. of your board of directors, Ex-I a board banker. Of directors and our business advisory council. Yes. So they bring a lot of regional information to us. Um, at the Cleveland Fed. And that regional information, I can't emphasize how much that's important for us to get a handle on what's happening in our regional economies. And that actually, we bring that to DC. So I always make an appointment at FOMC meetings to talk about what's happening in my region. And of course, the other presidents bring what's happening in their region. We talk about it, and then we're making monetary policy at a national level. But that information is very important. And the regional structure of the Fed is a way of bringing that information so that it can affect national monetary policy do
0: you have any sense and you've been with the fed for a long time and again monetary policy academically your expertise you've been following this do you have any sense that the the intent to try to restructure the fed or change the fed is any more intense now than it has been
1: i think that it's reasonable that to given we've been through very hard economic times that it's time you know that there are there going to be a lot of people who want to relook at things but I want to point out to people that you know the Fed structure has lasted for over 100 years, and we've had two attempts at central banking before the Federal Reserve System, and neither one lasted more than 20 years. So there is something very good about this Balance of the regional with DC and you know with the New York Fed coming together and making policy on behalf of the nation.
0: And so, one of the good things we could say it again. One of the things about regional Fed Bank presidents, they have boards of directors and advisory councils. So they're the regional economy. So. How do you respond then to people who feel the, the Fed is maybe not responsive enough to the demands of labor? And Within that context, I want to mention that the uh, the Labor Market Conditions Index, which Janet Yellen has praised as such a good view of the labor market, has a somewhat different view of the economy, I would say, than the low unemployment rate. Uh, it's been below its post-recession average of plus four every month since January 2015. The year-to-date average has been negative out of uh, seven, eight Seven, seven out of eight months this year. In the past, this has been a precursor, a signal of recession. Is that something, Loretta Messer, you and others who want to hike rates now need to pay closer attention to?
1: We look at many, many different statistics on the labor market. In fact, one of the authors of that <laughs> that index is actually here at the Cleveland Fed, um, Bruce Fallick. And so we look at that. We look at a lot of other indicators of the labor markets. Um, and I think most economists would agree that the labor markets are doing quite well. In fact, it's one of the strengths of the economy. That said, not everyone in the labor market is doing well. And there are long-term issues with labor- workforce development issues. Um, I recently was in Hazard, Kentucky, part of my district in Appalachia. And, you know, there are people hurting there because of the coal um, industry. And, you know, I saw a program that's actually making you know, taking, you know, coal miners and they were in a course to learn how to be electrical linemen and and fiber optic linemen. It's one small program, but I think, you know, one of the roles of the Fed and one of the value adds we can do is study how to scale those programs up. We have a community development function here at the Cleveland Fed that does first rate work um, and looking at some of these issues in terms of low and moderate income neighborhoods and what kinds of programs can help transition right from certain industries that are undiversified into more into the jobs that are going to be in demand in the future. So again, I think the Fed can can help that conversation and by providing our objective research on which programs work, which programs don't work, which kinds of policies can the nation um, rely on to actually help these transitional economies. That's different than saying we should use monetary policy as the tool to affect those longer-run issues.
0: Zeroing in on the labor market conditions index and the weakness we've seen, that you don't take that as a sign that maybe this economy really doesn't need or is really not strong enough to withstand another interest rate hike?
1: I don't. I think if you look at across a number of statistics, the unemployment rate is down. The other indicators of labor market health have improved. Um, hiring rates are going up. You know, if you look at the unemployment rates across race and gender, gender, they've improved. They're not perfect, obviously. But again, some of those differences reflect longer-run issues that monetary policy really isn't meant to address. So again, I think if you look at the, the um, job creation rates, um, the number of jobs being created at 180,000 per month on average this year, that's well above the range. Um, that most economists say would be the steady state or the sustainable rate. And so I think that's, you know, to me, those are good numbers.
0: More with Laura Mester. She's president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland coming up here on Taking Stock. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. Our very special show today, we're live at the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland with Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester. Uh, Loretta, I want to uh, follow up on some of the things we've been discussing. Actually, I'm getting notes from listeners and others who are are hanging on your every word. Uh, And one question, how deep right now is the split on the Federal Open Market Committee, the Fed's policy-making body? Three dissenters the most since 2014. People, I don't know if, if people realize, in fact, you don't, people like you don't dissent lightly, it's a big deal. Three people dissented, how deep is the split?
1: Well, if you look at the vote count, yeah, you'll say three dissenters, but I don't think we're that far apart. I think we all, as, as Chair Yellen said in her press conference, you know, the case has strengthened, we said that in our statement after the meeting. It's just really a matter of where you see the risk and where you see the economy. I think one of the things that struck me over time is the resiliency the U.S. economy has shown to a number of of bumps in the road on this road of expansion. So if you just think over the past year, we started the year, we had that volatility um, in January and February in the financial markets. We got over that. We had the readjustment to sort of fears about the growth rate in China being revised down. Um, economy made it through. Um, we had the Brexit vote. Um, again, lots of concern about that, and the economy made it through. So to my mind, you know, we've continued to make this progress, um, and we focus on the monetary policy goals. To my mind, that means that it's a compelling case to take another step. So the Fed has been cautious up till now about how it's moved race. I think that strategy has really served us well. But in an economy where we're continuing to make progress on our goals and we expect to make further progress on our goals, I think being prudent sometimes means moving the rate up, and that's kind of where I was, and other people had different views.
0: Well, we're going to get a little better view of this when we get the FOMC minutes, but that's not for, uh, well, another week and a half or so. The dynamic at the meeting. If we get those FOMC minutes, are we going to see that there were a number of people, not just dissenters, who were more in favor of moving in September. How did that, can you give us a sense of, of, you just said that, no, maybe the split isn't as deep as we might think. Is that because there's more people who are leading in that direction? They just didn't dissent. The meetings always
1: have every participant, whether you're a voter or not, you bring your view about both the economy, and policy to the table so there's a rich discussion I always come into the meetings very um, very much looking forward to the other viewpoints I'm going to hear around the table of course I come in with my idea of where I think things have been and where they're going you know my forecast and then what I think the appropriate policy is but it's a very good discussion we exchange views I commend Janet Yellen the chairman for allowing that kind of give and take and for encouraging it so my, my fundamental is that when you know, you bring in a diversity of views, you actually get and have that discussion, you actually get better
0: policy as an outcome. So how worried are you? you, you you're not so much in the financial bubbles camp, uh, but are you a bit worried that investors are reaching for yield and they've gone into commercial real estate, as Eric Rosen ran from the Boston Fed, has emphasized junk bonds, et cetera. And if people start exiting all at once, that that could destabilize the markets. And that is something that you're, Putting on the plate when you make that list of reasons why the Fed should move now and raise that rate. Okay, we certainly always
1: have to look at all the risks that our policies engender. Um, my case was based on the progress we've made on our dual mandated goals, um, but you know, it would. It, we have to take into account that we've had interest rates at very, very low levels um, for a very long time, and so of course you're going to be looking for whether financial imbalances are building up. I don't see them. Um, right now is building up, you know, and, and the reason to raise rates. But it's certainly something that we're going to have to continue to monitor. We did see some froth in the in the commercial real estate market, which is what Eric Rosengren has pointed to. That seems to have settled down a bit now. But nonetheless, we want to
0: continue to monitor that. This is a bit in the future. But again, uh, inquiring minds want to know, uh, when would be the appropriate time to start unwinding the balance sheet? Is there a level of Fed funds rate you can point to? Because after all, you're you're looking for a rate hike this year. So are a lot of other people. Two rate rate hikes next year. How is the Fed calibrating this as the majority seems to be more on board for this gradual move? Still, at some point, got to look at the balance sheet.
1: Right. So as the Fed has said that, you know, we want to communicate our policy based on funds rate path and that's what we've been doing um, and then later on we can determine whether we want to stop reinvesting of the, of the portfolio so my view of, of, of the mechanism is that the portfolio at you know is an accommodate is a tool for, of accommodation and so as we get you know the economy continues to expand and we're bringing the funds rate up then we could consider sort of stopping the reinvestments. Whether a 1% level of the funds rate, I think different people would have different views about that. But the same issues about why the funds rate should come back up eventually will also mean that, that, that we can stop reinvesting and in the, in the portfolio can gradually um, de- you know, get smaller. In
0: about 15 seconds. But this means, because it's another form of tightening when you stop reinvesting the proceeds. So you have to be doing it at a time when the economy is pretty strong.
1: Well, you'd want to do it, take into account that that's added downward pressure on long yields. So, of course, right, we'd we'd look at all our tools at that point. But again, the main tool, policy tool at this point, is interest rates, short-term interest rates.
0: All right, Loretta Mester, we're going to keep going. She's president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland. Joining me today for an exclusive interview, I'm Kathleen Hayes on Taking Stock, and this is Bloomberg. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. A very special edition of Taking Stock today on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kathleen Hayes, along with Loretta Mester. She's president of the Cleveland Fed. Uh, Loretta, getting a great response here on our conversation, so I want to thank you again for taking the time today. It's uh, pretty special to sit down for an hour with the Fed Bank president. Thanks for coming. Well, I want to ask you about uh, we got the ISM manufacturing index. Okay, anything above 50 is signaling growth, anything below contraction in manufacturing. It climbed to 51.5 in September. Uh, It was negative the month before, lackluster. People aren't very excited about what they're seeing. So that's one part of the equation. The ISM manufacturing closely watch. I know folks at the Fed watch it. And it's not just uh, uh, the ISM manufacturing index. The ISM services index is at a 79 month low. Again, with these signs of an economy that's still struggling in a lot of ways, that's not strong, is a rate hike now maybe just not the most prudent thing to do. So you're right, growth has
1: been struggling a bit. Right, we had short, you know one percent growth in the first half of the year. Um, our nowcast suggests that we're going to see a pickup in growth in the second half of the year. Um, the consumer has been the strength side of the economy. It's been doing very well. Consumer spending has held up. Consumer confidence has held out. Up. Um, household balance sheets have strengthened over time. Uh, employment is part of that driver, right? We've seen incomes rising, um, and at other part, and at lower parts of the income distribution as well, moving up. So that those are all very, very positive things. Business investment, as you point out, and manufacturing has been hit um has been weak and so a certain extent we understand part of that right we know that the oil price shock um really hurt the energy part of the economy and investment in the rig counts are down and and that was really a bigger shock Um, that affected the cleveland fed district as well because we have oil and um, gas exploration going on in our region as well But the other part is that it's broader than just energy. And there, you know, you've seen that low interest rates, some firms, instead of investing or buying back their stock, um, the weakness has been a little bit more there just there does appear to be a sense of caution on the part of a lot of businesses and so that's somewhat of a puzzle um, i do think that as the economy continues to expand we'll see some b- increase in business investment but you know if that continues to be as low as it's been and productivity growth as low as it's been it could be that trend growth is lower than the 2% i pay it at
0: manufacturing very important in the in your region uh across the the midwest dollar rate hike stronger dollar not good for manufacturing right. how concerned are you about that right
1: so we certainly have um some firms in our district who have reported that the dollar really affected them they're the ones who have you know, are are dependent on international sales. But the manufacturers in the district that are domestically focused, they've seen improvement over time. So again, it's, you know, you have to take into account the heterogeneity of the economy. So yes, manufacturing is weak. We have signs that at least in our district economy, and I would say more generally in the nation that the ones that have been less tied to international, which were exports of, hurt, have seen some improved activity over time.
0: What about markets and, of course, exchange rate, but then there are stocks as well to consider if the Fed starts back on the rate hiking path while other central banks from the European Central Bank to the Bank of Japan are trying to find ways to stimulate their economies more. They've got negative rates for crying out loud. Yeah. So we operate
1: in a global economy of course, you know, we're we're interlinked in many ways. Trade is one channel, financial services is another. But again, right, we set our domestic policy here in the US to try to hit our goals of 2% inflation, price stability, and full employment. And again, just looking at how the progress we've made and what we expect to continue to make on those goals, taking a little step up on the path of gradual in- in- interest rates seems appropriate. We're still gonna be accommodative, right? So this is not an idea that we're gonna tighten quickly. And in fact, one of the reasons I think there's a compelling case to take that next step on the gradual path is so that we don't find ourselves s- in a situation where Markets tighten enough labor, you know, labor markets tighten so much that prices become more price pressures and then we'll have to move rates up more steeply in the future. So again, this is really negotiating a gradual return back. Um, to our goals,
0: and of course, it's it's not just the dollar right now. Uh, earlier in the year, when the Fed was all primed for four interest rate increases, one of the things that happened, of course, first it was the volatility in in yuan, China that hit. Then, of course, the Brexit vote in midsummer. Well, now we've got big dark clouds hanging over some big European banks, and it's not just Deutsche Bank in Germany. People looking at Italian banks as well. If the Fed were starts hiking rates in the middle of that. Don't they, or do you risk exacerbating this turmoil?
1: Well, I don't think that the Fed moving the funds rate up by 25 basis points is going to affect the conditions in Italian banks and and German banks. Um, One thing about the U.S. is that our banking system is much better capitalized than it was during the crisis, so we're relatively um, good, but we can't ignore the fact that there are problems in some other countries in terms of their banking system, and that is a risk, but again, we take prudent you know, account of that. We're certainly monitoring the situation. um, And that's part of this monitoring in between FOMC meetings that we do precisely to make sure that we understand the mechanisms and how it could affect U.S. markets. Put a little finer point on this.
0: Uh, We have seen lately that some of the European and Japanese banks are having a little bit harder time getting dollar funding because the various challenges they're facing. Could a rate hike exacerbate that problem?
1: Again, the level of interest rates we're talking about, um, I don't see that that's gonna be a major problem for us or for them either.
0: Another kind of question, oil. Okay, we've got a deal that maybe we've got, we've got a deal to talk about a deal in OPEC, uh, if they're successful this time, uh, led by the Saudis to get a cut in production, presumably oil prices will move higher. Does this uh, represent a significant factor for inflation uh, does it increase your concern about about inflation and the Fed not moving fast enough? For, for, but first of all, I guess what do you what do you think of the deal? How are you assessing okay, it? So
1: one of the things to remember is the reason that inflation has been low is because of the sharp decline in oil prices since mid-2014 to the beginning of this year. As those, uh, the effect of that lower oil prices work through, we've seen inflation move gradually back up. And the oil prices have been relatively stable. Now, we've seen more stability and inflation moving back up towards our target over gradually over time. Obviously, one of, we're going to be monitoring what's going to happen to the oil price, but at the moment, there's no reason to think that things are going to be so different that our medium run outlook will change necessarily. And so, but it is certainly one of the factors that we're gonna take into account when we're assessing conditions going forward.
0: If oil prices move significantly higher, again, is it more of a, yippee, we've got inflation moving up or is it, oh my gosh, now people face higher oil prices and it's a, it's a tough thing for consumers and not so great for the economy. Right.
1: Well, that's the balancing act that we do, right? It's going to have those both of those effects and the question is, how much will it have an impact on inflation? How much on the economy? And the timing also matters, right? So oil prices can affect inflation um, relatively soon in terms of the headline numbers, right? And it'll also have an impact you know, more sh- drawn out on the real side of the economy. But that's the kind of balancing we do as we weigh our dual mandate goals.
0: Diversity, people talk a lot about that at the Fed and Janet Yellen, our Fed Chair, has made it pretty clear that the Fed is really pushing in that direction. You're a woman. You're a woman who's risen to the top of the academic economic sphere of the Fed. What, what, do, you, what do you have to say about women economics, women at the Federal Reserve, women in this sphere of the economy and endeavor?
1: I think everyone should become an economist. I'm, well, I'm always me pro. Too. <laughs> I'm just pro economist. So, no matter what you know, part, of the, part of the spectrum you're in, I think becoming an economist is a great thing. And I would encourage everybody to do that. No, seriously, the Fed does take diversity very um, seriously. I think we've made some progress, but there's certainly more progress we can do over time. I think that's true of the economics profession. As a whole, and I think that's one of the challenges we face in terms of our own diversity within the Federal Reserve System. But you know, we're an institution that really values diversity of views, and diversity of views is informed by your experience. And so, having a diverse workforce, having diversity on our boards of directors, having diversity in our leadership is very important because ultimately it results in better policy.
0: Uh, ten seconds. Would you encourage young women to look at economics? Is I it, a, is def- it oh, more open to women now than it used I, to be I when would, we were doing it at I the would beginning? I
1: definitely encourage it. I think it's a fascinating field, um, and I think we need as many good minds, you know, working on these topics as we can get.
0: Loretta Mester, a great mind working on this topic. Thank you so very much for joining me. Thank you for having and coming to Cleveland. Loretta Mester, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland, joining us today for an in-depth conversation about monetary policy and the economy. I'm Kathleen Hayes, and this is Bloomberg.